and welcome back to day four of the four days of Christmas. This is the end of our free Patreon episodes that we've been providing you over this time. Murph and I will be back at the mic next week with our interview of the actor who played Murph in the hit series Narcos on Netflix, Boyd Holbrook. Yes, we got Boyd Holbrook. We were able to corner him, get all the inside details, and in fact, Murph learned something he didn't even know when we had our interview. So you guys got to tune in for that on January 8th. In the meantime, this is day four of the four days of Christmas. This is where we get into our final Patreon episode that we're providing you. If you guys like this, come join us, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. You're going to find all sorts of great content there, including this next section. One of the most favorite things Murph and I like to do, it's called Q&A. Yes, hooray for Q&A. It's where you send us questions. We answer all questions. We field all attempts to stump us, which has never happened, at least that we know of. So, hey, guys, join us. Q&A. This is day four of the four days of Christmas. And make sure, if you like this, join us at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. And make sure you turn in next week, Boyd Holbrook. Hey, hey, take it away. It's time again for Q&A. Once again, I'm the master of rhyming. How long do you work on that? I just made it up on the spot. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome back. It is the November edition of Q&A, one Woo-hoo. of our favorite things to do. And uh, before we get started, a couple quick things. First of all, thank you. Thank you. And once again, thank you. That's three thank yous. Actually, four, because I just said thank you again. That makes five. Um, keep going. You could keep, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> hey, would you guys give us two things? You give us time. You give us money. We can always replace money, but never time. So thank you once again. That's six. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. This, this is one of our most favorite things to do, the Q&A. So the fact that you, you guys come up with some tough questions sometimes, but uh, we'll, we're going to wade through them and see what happens here. We are, and we have to get started. First of all, it is the pumpkin spice season. I have some in my coffee as I'm as oh, we're talking yeah. pumpkin, baby pumpkin spice, pumpkin everything. I know it's I know it's the holiday season, Christmas season. Why? Because SiriusXM, I've got the app, you know, in the car and stuff. I listen to it at my desk. Um, all the holiday channels are coming out, so it's the most wonderful time of the year. I say that because we actually have a question on topic about that we're going to discuss later. But before we get started, before I owe our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, who rules uh, with an iron fist with the velvet glove, I owe her an apology because um, she sent us a question for the October Q&A. She goes, before I forget for next month, and apparently I forgot to include it in there. So we're going to lead off with her question from October to begin with, because remember, October, Halloween, etc. So Murph. Before I forget this time, favorite horror movie? You know, I don't watch horror movies. I have no favorite horror movie. I don't like them. They scare me. <laughs> I don't like to watch movies that where you're sitting there and all of a sudden something looks like it's going to grab you and it makes you jump. My heart's That's, getting old. I can't take that shit anymore. How about when you were younger? Um, you know, the one that, that sticks out in my mind that scared the crap out of me was Shark. It was uh, Jaws. Jaws. We know when there's a hole in the bottom of the boat yeah, and, and they're swimming up to it, you know something's going to happen. And then that head bobs down in that hole. I had my high school girlfriend with me at the movie theater and we, I was holding a soda and a popcorn. She grabbed my arm when that happened. I yelled and screamed, threw popcorn and soda on everybody. 
<laughs> Piss me off. <laughs> well, I remember taking a date to see the movie Carrie. Oh. And it, it was going tough. And then at the very end, when that hand comes up, you know, and grabs at the end, it's like, yeah, people screamed. She, that was my first and last date. I am never going anywhere with you again. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a movie, Morgan. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I blame it on the movie. I blame it on the movie. So, uh, but I, I still yeah. think Carrie's my favorite. I, I'm like you. I don't watch a lot of them now. Like the, uh, you can only watch how many times can you watch Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth? You know, or the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Uh, or Most the of those I've never seen. But yeah. I don't think I've seen any of those. I haven't, but but still, we wanted to make sure we didn't forget. So, mea culpa, apologies, but um, Sandy, so, I've seen you his address, so you can beat him. Yeah, well, I, but I'll tell you what, though, Jaws, buddy of mine, was the chief of police. Uh, I guess it was filmed up at Martha's Vineyard. Oh so, yeah, yep. I just, I tell you, that just <laughs> and one of the sergeants on the police department now was one of the people was a, I think an extra or somebody in the movie then. So they, they had this little story up there, you know, for their paper up there about, you know, the anniversary of it and everything, you know, it just, you know what though, boy, I tell you what it did though. People watch Jaws, you know, <laughs> nobody wanted to, they say, nobody wanted to go back in the water after that. And that's the truth. And I mean, if you watch what's going on now, how they're tracking the sharks and everything, how they're moving on up the East coast. Yeah. Heading north. Um, ankle deep's plenty good for me. Uh, yeah, you people up there in Martha's Vineyard, going to get your legs bit off. Yep. All right. Be careful. Let's well, let's let's kick into the November Q&A. And as always, we got a question from our buddy, Frederick Nicolosi. Yeah, Frederick. Frederick. <clears throat> so, question for November. We always see law enforcement arrest or detain adults and see the process, but hardly ever see law enforcement deal with minors. So... My question is, how do you deal with minors? Do they go to an adult detention center in a special holding cell, or uh, do they instantly go to a juvenile center? Are they processed the same? Thanks. Um, I know, you, you know, you feds, you don't even know what a minor is, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we did. You tell us how you handled it at the, at the fed, federal level, but mm-hmm. yeah, most, you wouldn't... Um, you, unless they were certified to stand trial as an adult or already certified as an adult, and we had that happen with some gang members, um, they they don't go to an adult detention center unless unless they've made. You got to go to all these extremes. But we had we had juvenile detention centers, places where they would go. It was handled differently. It was treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that but it would change though. So I, one of the cases of the month we did, I think probably a couple of years ago, Murph was this gang related homicide. Uh, that I work where the guy was run over eight times with his own car by these little bangers. Mm-hmm. We got one of the guys named Adam Valdez. He was 16. We were able to certify him as an adult to stand trial. The minute we certified him as an adult, he went from juvenile detention to adult detention. So once the court made that decision, it changed how we detained him. But you know, the other thing too, Frederick, is every state um, and locality may have different things, and it depends upon the um, facilities. I know sometimes to where you want to hold a juvenile in detention or in custody, you may not have an appropriate facility, so you end up having to drive them, you know, 100 miles. Oh, yeah. So, but um, yeah, but so that's the one thing you don't see. Uh, but yeah, but they do have to have special things to keep them away. You don't want them around the adults, but I will tell you, though, sometimes some of these minors— I've got a bigger criminal record than some of the people that, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. that most were adults. Of, most of them that get uh, moved over to the adult side have earned it. Yep. 
But uh, we did everything we could not to take a juvenile into custody. <laughs> Even like, when kid, run! You don't want us catching you now. Run! We're very slow. Run! <laughs> Even when uh, uh, when I was a uniform cop, you know, and I've told the story before on here, so I don't want to belabor the point. But when I was a city cop back in the seventies, and the seventeen-year-old kid showed up with a pound of weed. That was considered a felony back then, but we chose not to charge him. Now, this was a time when police still had the discretion to make a decision as to what they're going to do. And, and you know, that carried a lot of weight. And that man, you know, he turned up in a very productive businessman. Um, he and I have uh, reestablished contact on Facebook. I won't, mention, I won't ever mention his name. I would never embarrass him. But, you know, that turned out to be a good decision. So, uh, but it was, if like, if we caught him fighting, You'd bring him in, and, and you couldn't put him in the regular holding cell as a uniform officer. They had a special cell, and uh, you called their parents, and you released them to their parents. It was, it was unless it was a felony. Now, if it was a felony, you got a whole different thing. And like you said, if if they go into custody, the county jail didn't have a facility for them. They now have regional jails in West Virginia, so they probably do have a regional juvenile lockup. But back then, the, the juvenile jail was called Pruny Town. And the only time I ever went there is when I was in college, and we took a field trip there. And let me tell you, once what there was enough. You know, I was I was already an adult. I was a young adult. So I was probably 19, 18, 19 years old at the time. But you know, there's you look at these young kids and just thinking, those some of those kids will just kill you. Well, as in uh, episode, you know, part one and two of our interview with Rick Rambo. By the way, mm-hmm. there's a question about Rick Rambo in this too, and our questions today. But he talked about that kind of scared straight thing where they took the kids down to the prison, you know, yeah. and some yeah. of these kids, uh, you know, some of them are stone cold killers. The, the the old saying was, especially in L.A. and the gangs back in the day, they would call them Minutemen because you'd arrest them, you could only keep them for a minute. They're back out on the street. That's why yeah. kids that were 13, 14, 15 years old stealing cars, you you know. Bring them in, turn them right back out. They'd be back out to stealing cars. So uh, they're trying to, like to your point, there's a lot more detention centers now. There's, you know, and Murph, I should have looked into this a little bit more. Um, When we we did, I don't know if we did a case of the month, but we talked about it when that kid out here in Loudoun County raped the one girl Mm -hmm. and then raped the other. It's no longer alleged. He's been convicted. You know, he's been finding a fact. It was the question was is where do you hold a kid like that and what they should have done the first time. So yeah, even out here, even when you think we've got a huge region out here, big counties, you know, it was it's still an issue about, you know, where do you take and where do you put kids? So not you know, an easy question, Fred. I probably wouldn't say this on the on the open podcast, but here on Patreon, where you should hold them is you should hold their head underwater until the bubble stop. Sorry. <laughs> Just came to mind. Not that I ever did that. Not that we ever did that. That or, uh, you know, it's like sitting in a hot tub when the bubbles stop. Uh, oh. Make your own bubbles. Anyway, <laughs> done, done, thank you very much. Hey, good question, Freddie. Good yeah, question, Frederick Nicolosi. All right, next one comes from Daniel Mitchell. Um, what do you think of our, he talks about the United States philosophy towards prison should be. What should it be? Rehabilitation, deterrence, retribution, or something else? Got a couple other questions, but let's start with that. What, what do you think our philosophy towards prison should be, Murph? Well, I think originally the idea was um, retribution was punishment. I mean, that's what it's... That's it's, what penal stands for. Exactly. Penal prison punishment. But then, you know, as we became a kinder and gentler nation and, and started becoming wusses, I guess, is when we got more interested in rehabilitation. Now, that's I think that's a good cause, but I think if you go look at the recidivism numbers, you'll see that uh, it doesn't work as well, and certainly not as well as you'd like it to. Um, what happens is, um, 
you know, some people can earn their GEDs in there. I've got a family member that actually did that. So they were able to get an education out of it. But then you get folks that carry it further and become jailhouse attorneys and, you know, stupid things like that. And I, I remember one time when, when I was an agent in Greensboro, North Carolina, we arrested a guy who had pulled a gun on an undercover North Carolina State Bureau agent. And they robbed him of his buy money for he was buying crack cocaine. And uh, so the guy took off running. We finally caught him. I had him down the ground at gunpoint, and the other agents showed up to put the cuffs on him. And that's when he decided to fight, when the odds were like six to one. So my partner, Charlie, you know, was, I mean, the guy was hitting Charlie. So Charlie was a former boxer, and he clocked him. Charlie ended up, <laughs> his last punch, the guy moved his head, and Charlie hit the sidewalk, broke his hand. Oh. <clears throat> but anyway, the guy went to federal court. We charged him with assault on a federal age, pled guilty to everything, and then becomes a jailhouse lawyer and files a lawsuit against us. It made it to the first hearing with a federal magistrate. He said, this is ridiculous. You know, it's dismissed. But, you know, that's the kind of crap you get. They they go in and listen to other people and all of a sudden think they're smarter than everybody else on the street. So that was a long answer to a short question. Um, I'm quite honestly, I'm in, fun or, in, in uh, favor of punishment because the, the uh, re- rehabilitation thing doesn't work. It, it, the percentage that it does succeed is very low, I think. Yeah, you know, and there are some foreign countries, they, they they hold up models of like Sweden or Norway, talk about how they do it. They've got, you know, like these fancy little housing units and, um, they, you know, they give them all sorts of help. I think there's two distinctions, though, Daniel, to this thing is that you look at the people who can be rehabilitated. In other words, first-time offenders, uh, people, you know, who've got uh, extenuating circumstances and stuff. There is an issue there, you know, and I think that's the reason for so there's a difference between probation and parole, right? You got to serve time before you get parole, but you can be given probation without having to serve a sentence. Now, that being said, I think if you're given probation and you are, um, hold on a second. You know, I, I thought about editing that out, but the guys, that's the way life is. So what happened this morning was we reseeded and planted, and I've been watering the yard, which you're supposed to do. And so we held off for three weeks. We got a mowing service. And so... Um, they showed up early first thing this morning, which was great because we've got some recording to do. And then they left and all of a sudden I hear, I look out and I see the same truck all over again. I'm going, wait a minute, what are you doing? Well, their, their leaf blower, their, their blower broke. And I said, man, dude, the leaves are falling off the tree. Okay. You can just, that's okay. You can go now. We're done. Yeah. No mas. So it's called Murphy's law. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm just not going to edit that out. That's just life. That's just the way it goes. Well, let's get back into Daniel's thing. So it was talking about probation and parole. I think if you're a candidate for probation, you ought to get it. I don't think we need to necessarily lock you up um, as long as you've expressed the requisite remorse, um, you know, you do all the things, and that you're accountable. But if you're on probation and you decide that that's just giving you license to go commit another crime, then I think you automatically move from the, we just gave you a chance and you mm-hmm. bent us over, so now it, now it's punishment. I agree with you. Now you take them in and now it's punishment. Now you're going to do time. And I'll tell you, Joe Arpaio, when he used to be sheriff of Maricopa County, was called the you know the country's toughest sheriff. But yep. tell you what, not a lot of people wanted to come back to the Maricopa County Jail. You know, right. he said, "Hey, look, if tents are good enough for our men and women in uniform, they're good enough for prisoners." So he had them in pink outfits, and they were doing work. And he just made it to the point where you didn't want to come back. And that's, but that's to your point, Daniel. That's also deterrence, right? Part of it, if you do it right. You provide punishment, which is they're getting punished. It shouldn't be a country club like some of the Fed, you know, federal correctional institutions, you know. Oh, yeah. And, or, you know, but um, should be a country club, but there is a deterrence factor to it. I don't think it's retribution. It's not about retribution. Um, 
I think it's just, I think it's either punishment or deterrence. But if you've been given a chance, if you've been given parole and you screwed the pooch, uh, then, you know, we tried the carrot. Now you get the stick. Now, there's, there's, there is one category that I would move directly into punishment and no, no rehabilitation or anything. And that's for somebody who was a sworn law enforcement officer that knowingly and purposely broke the law, whether killing somebody or abusing his office. Because you've heard us say before, time and time again, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. When you accept that title as a public servant, you're supposed to serve the public. You you have rights that the the general public doesn't have. You can carry a gun. You can actually kill people legally if you're trying to protect yourself or other people. So to abuse that power, I have no sympathy for him whatsoever. So, and there, you know, you could, the same could be said for lawyers who know the law and know mm-hmm. better. The same could be said for judges, right? You know, so there's a whole, I think there's a lot of people who, it's not that they have, you treat them differently. They still have the same rights as others, but it's the question is, you know, if you're just a poor kid out there and you, you're trying to scrape by and your your wife's pregnant, you know, and you've got no money and you just stole a little bit um, to make dinner, you know, and it's obvious, that's a candidate for, uh you know, grace, that's a candidate for parole. That's a candidate, you know, for even deferment, right? You know, say, hey, mm-hmm. diversion. But if you're a hardened criminal that walks in like we're seeing on all these stores and they're walking in, they've got a bag and they're just shoplifting the shit out of everything. Well, yep. sorry, pal. Break their fingers. Break. Uh, there you go. No bubbles and breaking fingers, Murph. What happened to you recently? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks. A lot, a lot of road travel. I'm tired. <laughs> All right. So next question from Daniel. How easy are murder investigations when the victim is a woman in a relationship? Let's be real. It's always the husband or boyfriend, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The murder cases I've worked on, they're not a single one. Even though it might be obvious or appear obvious, none of them are easy. And, and here's the facts are the facts. But here's what you're up against is a defense attorney who's going to come in and try to skew everything to make the attorney, to make the jury have a reasonable doubt. Yep. So it, there's there's no such thing as an easy murder case. No. And, you know, one of the questions you did, anytime you started getting a hint, is there a relationship involved? I mean, you always wanted to get that information from them sooner rather than later, because then it appeared they're covering it up. And so, yeah, um, it's never right. There's no such thing as an easy murder investigation. Now, some murder investigations are closed fairly quickly because the proof is obvious. You've got the suspect in custody. But... um, it's no, it's not always. And let me tell you what, what, when it tends to be women, uh, it usually is a, as we found out when we were talking with our buddies like Lou Velosi and, um, uh, uh, Jay Bird and other ones that did murder for hire. Um, mm-hmm. most of the time murder for hire are women, um, you know, yeah, get wanting to get rid of their husbands and that, but that goes back to it really, in a sense, you have to look at it culturally too. It's the same thing with suicide. Women rarely shoot themselves in a suicide. That's a man thing, right? Women, it's about, it's vanity. It's so it's poisonings or it's slitting the wrists or other things, but it's rarely, I, I, I think of all the homo or the suicides I worked involving women. Only one was actually involved a, a weapon and that's because she was severely mentally ill. Um, just, I mean, that was one of the reasons that led to, uh, this. So, uh, it's usually, it's not always the boyfriend, the husband or boyfriend, but anytime you've got a triangle like that, man, it just, it becomes convoluted. And And, and they are definitely persons of interest is what the, that's the term we use now. (laughs) We used to call them suspects. Damn right. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a suspect? I said, everybody's a suspect until you've been eliminated. So act accordingly. Yep. 
All right. And uh, he asked the question, does Morgan still indulge in music as a hobby? Yes, I do. In fact, sitting uh, within arm's reach of me, I actually have to go across the screen here, is my Takamini guitar. I still have a Gibson banjo. Um, don't have a keyboard anymore. I got rid of those a while back, but uh, I played up in a band till now. It was like seven years ago is when I quit playing in a band. So I'll still sit out on the back deck and play some Muzak and uh, think of, think what could have been. I could have been a rock star. I could have been in a rock band. I would have been in a hair band back in the 80s, man. That would have been me. <laughs> and Daniel, he does. We were in San Diego uh, back in May for law enforcement conference and walked into a bar one night and there's Morgan strumming on the guitar. Really? Where was I forgot the They're at the hotel. What oh, the hotel? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been known to tickle the ivories on the piano every now and then. So one time when I was a music major, I played I could play uh I mean my major was brass instruments, so what they called baritone or and a trombone, play those and tuba, play those highly proficient. I was good at trumpet, French horn, uh, but I could Skin play <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I can I can resist. <laughs> Murph, what has happened to you? Did somebody Connie sneak some miracle grow into your uh, coffee this morning, yeah. or what? I think I'm just getting more cantankerous as I get older. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that, Daniel. Thank you. Sorry about that for all the starving pygmies in China. Thank yeah. you. In New You're Guinea. Done. In New Guinea. All right. Well, there you go, Daniel. Stephen, not Seagal Siegel. Hey, hey, Q&A, November Q&A, two questions for you gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, there's your first mistake, yeah, gentlemen. <laughs> what, if any, podcasts do you listen to? Um, you're probably not going to believe this, but I don't listen to podcasts. I have listened to a couple of our episodes. Um, just, you know, listen to the quality and, and going back and you listen to, say, you know, I know I have a country accent and <laughs> I go back to listen to see how bad I sound. Um, I, I might listen to a podcast if we're trying to figure out, you know, how we can ad- more promote our podcast. What is it that they do differently? So it's more, it's not for the content. I, I Honestly, I can't believe the content we get on here and I can't believe anybody's getting any better content for a true crime podcast than what you get on Game of Crimes. Yeah, it's all about the promotion. Well, I, I will tell you, though, Stephen, not Seagal Siegel, uh, give you a quick idea of what the podcasts I follow. And I listen to... I listen to them on and off. It depends, but I've got AFIO. It's the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. So a lot of, I, I like listening to a lot of those stories that actually gives me ideas for stuff. Anatomy of Murder, uh, Appalachian Unsolved, Bear Brook, Breaking the Case, which is an NYPD thing, Buried Bones. I've got some business podcasts, Michael Hyatt and stuff. I love the old time radio, especially when I'm like on a trip or traveling. When we did the train, the planes, mm-hmm. trains, and automobiles on my train for 18 hours, listening to some of the old time radio, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon with his faithful dog, King. You know, uh, and I listened to, to our po- buddy out there, uh, Patrick O'Donnell. So um, I've got um, Cops and Writers podcast on here. Um, looking at some of the stuff now, I'll tell you, I will. I do listen when uh, NBC comes out with uh, some new series, uh, and um, Keith Morrison is on those. You know, or some of the other guys. I'll listen to those, like Mommy Dearest or Mommy Doomsday. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Steve. There's an interesting one too called Internal Affairs uh, Dateline. 
Uh, Man in the Window about the Golden State Killer. So, I mean, I've got a Michael Connolly, the murder book. Actually, the murder book and his thing factors into one of our guests we've got coming up, uh, Jillian Lauren, a uh, author who wrote a book about Samuel Little. We just did her interview, and it's going to come out. I'm going to target next week for it on a Thursday. We do our author spotlight. We'll do it on a Thursday. So, mm-hmm. that's me. And matter of fact, I was just looking at some of these things. Uh, the thing about Pam, the thing about Helen and Olga, like say some great uh, Dateline things, the great detectives of old-time radio. And Steve, here's one. What's that? The agent. About a former KGB agent. Somebody Mm. we might be talking to. Yeah. In fact, I just finished reading his book on the way back from Vancouver the day before yesterday. So I I listened to that entire podcast. Um, Well, yeah, it was several episodes. It was actually um, eight episodes. Yeah, so it was very good. and I would do that too, because so, a lot of times what I'll do, Stephen, not Seagal Siegel, is um, I'll take the wife shopping. Um, you know, we hit the Costco, we hit the Wegmans or whatever. And that's my thing. While I'm off, she's doing her thing. I'm off doing my thing, looking at the beer, um, which sometimes I get some good beer, you know, walking around the store. I'll put in my earphones and uh, I will listen to podcasts. So that's me. There you go. All right, Steve, what do you think will be the biggest challenges law enforcement will face in the next five to 10 years? Wow, I, you know, <clears throat> when I read that question earlier, I was I was thinking what we're what I'm hoping is that this defund the police thing is is reversing, and I think it is slowly. I think people realize that that was a really stupid idea, and and a lot of the people that were promoting that have since been charged with various crimes or been victims of crime themselves, like carjackings and yeah. muggings. You know, <laughs> <It's just laughs> how so- did this happen? Well, you defunded the police. So appropriate. So appropriate. So I'm hoping that we get back around to where the cops are the good guys and and not the seen as the evil. By you know, it's just you know, I don't think that's the vast majority of the population here in the United States. I think that's uh, select groups that are just promoting an individual. Um, I hate to say manifesto, but damn, that word seems to be appropriate when you talk about this. So with with the advent of A and I. I think that's going to be a great aid to investigators, but I also think it's going to be a great nemesis because now they're going to be able to create all these videos of police officers doing criminal things that they're absolutely not involved with. Did you say A and I? No, AI. If AI, I did, I thought you I said AI. AI. I thought you meant assholes and idiots. I wasn't well, sure where you were going. <laughs> that might be appropriate here also. <laughs> but uh, um, the technology that just keeps growing and growing, it's its unbelievable. And, and 10 years from now, who knows what's going to be available out there? You know, it, I was at the International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference this year in, out in San Diego a few weeks ago. And you see them, you got these robot dogs walking around. It's just amazing the technology that's out there. So I'd, I'm anxious to see what does develop. But I think this AI is going to be... It's just a real double-edged sword that's going to be beneficial, but it's also going to create so much. It's going to bog down the courts in in fake lawsuits. It's going to accuse innocent people of things that they had nothing to do with. Um, So vamos a ver. We'll have to see. Yeah, I just got through writing an article for uh, one of the companies I'm an advisor to. It came out in SC Magazine, and we're talking about the Biden Executive Order 14110 on artificial intelligence. And I had some problems with it. I mean, there, there are some obvious social issues they're trying to address with AI, which I think is the wrong thing. But um, but here, Steve, kind of gets down to your point. AI is one of them. I've got a couple other things. But imagine getting AI gets so good to the point you tell AI, generative AI, create a 
image that can't be detected by AI, you know? Wow. And that's what they're concerned about now. You're getting to the point is, is it live? Is it real? Or is it Memorex? You know, there's an old allusion to a, an old, uh, remember that that was the old commercial on TV. They had that crystal, um, wine glass there, that champagne glass. And is it live or is it Memorex? You'd hear this note, hit the right note and it would shatter the glass. Yep. Yep. So we're giving uh, away our age, giving away our age (laughs) or just my, um, fascination for, you know, studying all things, uh, um, you know, from the 1940s and the thirties, you know, back when you were growing up. Um, <laughs> but I think the <laughs> other thing good. though, too, uh, Stephen, not Seagal Siegel is I think it's going to be recruiting and retention is always the big issue. Where are we going to get the next crop of law enforcement professionals from, mm-hmm. um, where will we get our next crop of leaders from? You know, the people that we want to lead into the next five or 10 years. It's getting harder and harder to recruit people. And the ones that you recruit, it's getting harder and harder to retain them. Yeah. And that gets back to your point, Murph, is the minute you start defunding the police, you've created this cascading series of events that it's it's just not like turning off a faucet, then the water stops. No, you've created a series of events that continue to flow out and flow out for for years. Yep. So Minneapolis, how long do you think it will take? And I'll tell you what, we've talked about this before, just so quick, just insertion of this. I think all the politicians who voted to defund the police and created additional homicides in their community at a minimum ought to be held civilly liable for the increase in deaths. Well, this watched. is exactly what it resulted in. One of these, one of these uh, shyster attorneys, or you know, one of these attorneys will come along, and they'll they'll think of that, and they'll file these, you know, whether it's a frivolous lawsuit or not. I mean, politicians are protected uh, to a certain degree, but somebody will do that. Well, but but think about it, right? So, how long does it now? You let's say that you've gone along and your murder rate. So, rather than talking about the number of murders, the way the FBI looks at it, it's the murder rate. How many per thousand? So, let's say that your murder rate was five per one hundred thousand. I should say five per one hundred thousand. And then, because of bad policies, your murder rate now effectively doubles. It goes to ten per one hundred thousand, and it does it in a matter of a year or two, which is kind of what happened in Minneapolis. Different numbers, but the same context. How long do you think it takes to get back down to where it was before? It's not the same. It's not. It's not the same amount of time it took to get you there. It takes years. You know why? Because you've lost police. You've lost uh, the confidence of the public. You've got prosecutors in there who are not prosecuting. So therefore, you increase the number of crimes that are being committed, making it harder and harder to reduce the amount of crime. So uh, I will tell you that I think that's one of the biggest and one of the biggest challenges I think that's going to be is getting the public involved back into the perspective of policing, community policing, Sir Robert Peel. What would Sir Robert Peel do, the father of modern community policing? And I think it was Peelian principle number six or seven, the police are the public and the public are the police, the police being the only members of society paid to give two time and attention to duties which are otherwise incumbent upon everybody. If you're standing around holding up a phone, recording a fight, or a, a, an old man, Kessler, in Los Angeles, a Jewish, 79-year-old Jewish man getting pounded in the head with a speakerphone mm-hmm. at a pro-Hamas rally, you know, and you're recording instead of rendering aid. That's part of the problem. That's what, that's one of the biggest challenges I, th- I see for law enforcement is this part is this voyeur society that we have to where it's, they would rather sit on their phones and record stuff for that fleeting moment of social media fame than it is to take the hard stand and say, put your fucking phone down and pre- and do be a good Samaritan and prevent this Poor man right. from being bashed in the head and now 
killed. So now I just read an article too to where they're now uh, they're making sure their eyes are dotted and T's are crossed because in this environment right now, before you charge somebody, make sure you got your act together because you know between Israel and Hamas, we're going to see some uh, uh, supposedly from a you know the peaceful religion called Islam, uh, you know the religion of peace. We're seeing a lot of people get it wrong and a lot of fights are going on, and so they're dotting their eyes, crossing their T's. And before they file the case, but they are elevating it to a hate crime. So it's gonna it's gonna come out here shortly. So, but I tie that back into what I think the biggest challenge is. I think the biggest challenges are gonna be the community itself, the citizens themselves, getting them back into line to where they support and they want a peaceful and a safe community. Yep. I'm with you. Stay safe and keep up the great work. You damn right we're staying safe, man. I got my new Glock, just took it out to the range a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Ran my first, you know, 200 rounds through it. And uh, I'm thinking about getting a SIG Murph. So I'm looking at getting a SIG and maybe uh, uh, what they call a co- close quarter uh, combat receiver mm-hmm. um, with a suppressor. Um, perfect home self-defense weapon. Hey, I tell you what, man. I went yesterday to the, they're having the uh, the international SWAT roundup here in Orlando this week. So I got an invitation from Orlando PD to come out yesterday morning. I went out for a couple hours and there's 30 something teams. I think 10 or, or 10 or 11 are international teams. Let me tell you what, you talk about some studs. Oh my gosh. That's, those guys, I don't want to say they're on steroids, but holy cow, some of them could be bodybuilders. And then you got the lean mean guys. I, I watched them run through some of the scenarios you know, where they got to they got to crawl across a pipe, across a little ditch, then they got to climb walls, and they got through go through an obstacle course. They got to climb this thing, big big. It's not even a ladder; it's some kind of ramp that I've never seen before. And then come down on a rope, and then you know they've got their they've been running in between, and they got to stop and shoot at the pepper poppers at different di- distances with rifles, and then their handguns, and you got the snipers got to do his thing. A totally realistic situation every SWAT officer finds them in. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, then I saw, and I, I don't. Uh, I'm going to say it was an Asian SWAT team. It looked Japanese to me. I'm not sure if it was, but while they weren't doing their thing, they they were running as a group. <laughs> they were getting some distance runs in. I thought, holy cow, man! I mean, you know, you want to try to get your nerves calmed down when you're shooting competition like that because you need your accuracy. But it was, uh, it was it was an honor just to go out there and hang out with the guys and OPD. I hope you guys did well. Rooting for you all the way. Well, and you know, too, when when you've run or you do stuff, they stress you, and then you want to come in and you want to fire, you bring up your firearm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not these things you see on the movie where they come up and all of a sudden they're rock solid. You're running, you got adrenaline pumping, you know, things are, sh- things are naturally shaking a little bit. So the fact that they can still put rounds down range on target after going through all of that stuff, that's a high level of training. Oh, you're not kidding. When they told me, I, I'm, um, I'll just say, I'll mention his name. Kevin's on the Orlando police SWAT team and talked to him for a few minutes and I asked him how they did the first run. And, uh, I think they'd left two pepper poppers up and each one is a 30 second penalty. Ooh. So they had a minute added to their time. That's a lot of time. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Tell everybody what a pepper pocker is. Oh yeah. Sorry. It's a, uh, it's just a round steel plate that when you hit it with a round, you hear the, you hear an audible response because your bullet hits the steel and you know, you hit your target. And if you set it right, it'll fall down. Yep. So there you go. So that's why you're hearing this shoot, you know, ping, 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 you know. All right. This one comes to us from our buddy Chris from way out there, way out there in the oceans, in the middle of nowhere. Uh Uh-oh. Remember Chris? Remember, he knew where the little island you were at. You were on Chook, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's Micronesia. Micronesia. So anyway, Chris, this month's Q&A, how do you guys feel about being called racist or Uncle Tom if you carry 
or have the American flag on display. He says, yet they prop up all these foreign flags or alien flags. So um, I'm not going to get called an Uncle Tom because obviously I'm not black. Um, it just amazes me, though, is that you come to this country and part of coming to a country is to assimilate into their culture. Yep. And yet you want to fly. And it's okay to have pride. Look, a lot of, I mean, Italian Americans up in New York, Chinese Americans, Mexican Americans dealt with all of that. It, you can have pride in your heritage, but when you come to a country, no matter what country you come to, it's your job to assimilate into their culture. And so um, I have a problem. Uh, I, I've never, I tell you what, I fly the American flag out front of my house. I would say pretty close to 365, except for those days where I have to fly the Notre Dame flag because they're playing. Um, <laughs> win or lose, still God's team. So, uh, but I mean, but I've I've got that. So, uh, and I've got to replace my flag and pole too. You know, after a while, you still got to show it some respect. But I'm in a neighborhood to where um, I've got a Secret Service agent. I've got people, former military, and a lot of good people. A lot of a lot of American flags are flying out here. So. It doesn't bother me, and if you saw my vehicle, you would see I've got the thin blue line flag on there. Um, I support law enforcement. Um, there's no doubt. I've never been called that just because of the flag, but I've seen other people be called that. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, if you're calling somebody racist because they're flying the American flag, you've got two major issues. Number one, it's not racism. And the other thing, right. too, is a lot of people say you're being racist if you don't like somebody who's— um, a certain religion. That's not racist. Racist deals with the race. It's like a lot of people say you're racist against, and I've been accused of this for being racist against Muslims. No, I've <laughs> I've worked in the Middle East. I actually, Murph, sitting here on my desk, I have the Reliance on the Traveler, which is the only English-approved version of the Quran. Mm-hmm. And I've been through the training with the guys. I say, no, Islam is a religion. It is not an ethnicity. So you can't be racist against a religion. Like you can't be racist against Catholics. So um, we've got to be careful throwing out the racism word, I think, is is a loaded word. And it's used inaccurately a majority of the time. So, but I mean, I, you know, I have a problem when you come to this country, especially if you're on a visa and you're here at the... Uh, privilege of the United States government, and you are flying a flag that is hostile to the United States mm-hmm. um, and saying hostile things. I mean, you, all you have to do is see what's going on with Israel and Hamas right now and see the anti-Israeli sentiment. And just the mere fact that somebody is flying an Israeli flag, they get attacked. I, that's wrong. Just the same way I think attacking somebody with a hostile flag is wrong. But I kind of agree. So, you know, I'll bring this to a close on my thing anyway. But I think um, if you're flying a foreign flag or an alien flag, um, if you're flying something out there that's antithetical, hey, you know what? You shouldn't get beat up for it. But neither should you be beating up other people because they're flying something you don't like. Right. Right. That's um, if you're not flying the American flag, my question might be why not? I mean, are you proud of our country? If you're not, that's your right. But uh, if you don't like it here, go live somewhere else. For someone who called me a racist uh, or an Uncle Tom for anything would be, it. it <laughs> when they call me a racist, it's obvious they don't know who my children are. Because both, as, you, as our regular listeners know, both my daughters are Colombian by birth. They are U.S. citizens now. But I love it when Hispanics call me racist. It's like, yeah, you should have done your research first. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> I, if you go to Mexico, you better not fly a foreign flag down there because that's a violation of Mexican law. Try, try flying an American flag uh, in, in front of the uh, Chinese embassy in 
or at the American embassy in front of Beijing or go yeah. to um, some other countries you might be visiting too, Murph. There are some people who don't exactly have a tolerance for oh, yeah. uh, opinions that are divergent from their own. Let me tell you what, I, since, so I haven't announced this anywhere yet, but we, we've just been, Javier and I have just been booked to go to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia in mid-December for an international book fair. And uh, it's it's funny because when I told Javier about it, the next day he came to him and he's like, do you know they don't allow drinking alcohol at all over there? I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm no, I don't want to get in trouble over there. So since then, I've been... I, just this morning, before we recorded this podcast, I was looking up, you know, what's what you can and cannot do in in uh, Saudi Arabia, and I, somebody told me you're not even supposed to wear blue jeans. But I looked that up, and that's they just don't want you to wear the tight skinny jeans and things like that. And I think that's more geared towards the women than it is the men. But um, so anyway, back to our question here: um, that is your right in our country, which is what makes us so great. I don't like it. I think we should all carry the American flag and promote it and be proud of it. But that's what that's what sets us different from the rest of the freaking world is we have freedom of choice in our country. But see, I'm always curious about the people who are coming to America because they don't like where they're at. So what do they do? They come to America and fly the flag of the place that they just left because they didn't <laughs> like where they were at. <laughs> you know, and, and for all our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters here, especially in Orlando, uh, I love you. I, I, you know, love the culture, but you know, there might be a reason why you're not being admitted in as the 51st state. Yep. Because I love seeing the culture, but we have a culture here in the United States too. So maybe trying to assimilate a little bit to to what we do here. Yeah, three things define a nation, language, border, and culture. So, um, hey, and on a positive note, too, because Chris asked this question a few months ago about, you know, um, why is it that you could be a non-citizen and join the military, but you have to be a citizen to be in law enforcement? Well, Mm -hmm. happy to say, he goes, oh, hey, Morgan, my little cousin just did his swearing today for the Army National Guard. So this is us saluting you, your little cousin, which judging by how big Chris is, everybody's little. So this is our salute to you. Uh, Uh, And you, 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 you give him our... Uh, gratitude and thanks for yes. uh, defending and protecting the greatest nation on earth. The there you America. go. America. Love it. Love America. 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 All right. This one comes from Leah Parker. Hey, you two. Well, hey, you won. I, I've always wanted to say, how do you reply to that? Hey, you two. Well, hey, you or yep. hey, you won. All right. All right. A few easy. There's no such thing as easy questions. A few easy questions this month. Yes. Do either of you or do either or both of you enjoy reading? And if so, which are your top three books? Manhunters does not count. Well, Murph, this is a trick question because everybody knows you can't read. So, <laughs> Picture books, brother. Picture, picture books. books. What about you? Uh, yeah, I love reading. Um, my favorite book <laughs> is... You've read more since we started this podcast than you did in the 50 years before. Oh, my gosh. I, I didn't read this much in college. <laughs> and I'm serious. I'm not joking. But uh, favorite books, the Bible... Uh, the other two books are going to fall into the spy category. I'm a big Robert Ludlum fan, uh, Tom Clancy. Uh, just enjoy those kind of books. I read those more for entertainment. But um, some of the books, you know, we had some of, some of our old uh, f- neighborhood friends come and visit us last night from North Carolina. They're here at Disney and got to spend about eight or nine hours with them. Just had a blast. We got to see them up in North Carolina a couple years ago and, uh, so I brought them in my office here where we do our recordings, and I've got two full bookshelves now of books that we've read from guests on the show. And, th- I mean, we have had some heroic uh, 
patriotic people on this show that just makes you proud. So the, I love reading their books, too, to read their stories. Some of them I knew, but I never knew about Mike Fredericks. I never knew he was involved with the Tranquil Andea Rain down in Columbia, you know, the big cocaine se- lab seizures and all that. So I, those are the kind of books I'll read. I'm, I don't have three particular, but uh, the Bible's always at number one. So I enjoy, I thoroughly enjoy reading. In fact, I have a lot of hardcover. Um, I actually have a book that is 125 years old. It was written originally, it's the original Dr. Sin alias The Scarecrow, which Disney made a movie about. Um, I found that actually in a London bookstore and had it shipped to me. But uh, no, I I love reading. In fact, I have a lot of, uh, you know, paperbacks and hardbacks. And so I read those, but I, I've decided a long time ago to start tracking on Kindle because I would buy books because it was easier when you're traveling. I used to do a lot of travel like you did, Murph. You know, it was easier to carry stuff on a Kindle mm-hmm. than it was to carry two or three, you know, big books around. They, they, oh, yeah. they get a little heavy. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, one of my favorite series of all time, and I did take this with me and I read it on the airplane because um, I was doing a lot of international travel back then. But it was uh, Patrick O'Brien. He wrote the original series called Master and Commander that the movie was made about with, uh, you know, Russell Crowe in it. Mm-hmm. 21 novels. And he died during the writing of this 21st novel. And you see, they, they actually just kept it true to form. You see in the book where he quit writing, you know, you see a couple of thoughts and then the book just ends in the 21st novel. Well, there were four novels in a book um, because it was like on this very fine, like onion skin almost paper. But I enjoyed that so much because that was uh, integrating... English history, and he went into the Naval Archives, so he took real stuff. There was a Dr. Stephen uh, Matern. There was a a real Captain Jack Aubrey, real life. And he he created a series of stories around that, so I love historical stuff like that. But one of the reasons I said I keep track like on my Kindle, so... I had a couple of streaks, my daily streaks that were broke because uh, traveling internationally and you don't have connectivity, it screwed me. But uh, according to this, I've been reading for 200, I've at least read one day for 277 weeks in a row, and I have an 853-day-in-a-row reading streak. Good Lord. I've got business books on here. I've got, uh, actually, by the way, Murph, the one I'm reading now, thanks to my Prime membership, is Mark Cameron, Open Carry, his first novel in his Arliss Cutter series. Oh, cool. Very cool. So that, but I got a question, that 125-year-old book, that you got in London. Is that Rocky and Bullwinkle or what is that? Rocky and Bullwinkle weren't invented until I think the 50s. <laughs> you don't um, know. <laughs> yeah, I do. Boris and Natasha, bad than I. No, I know all of these things, comrade. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, but no, no, that's good. I mean, I love, I love reading. So, but, but I don't know if that I have a favorite book, but uh, I love series of books. I love Michael Conley. I've, I've read the entire mm-hmm. Harry Bosch series. I'm on the Lee Child series now. So I do, I, my goal is I read business in the morning. Uh, part of my routine. And then at night, it's it's reading for pleasure. So one of the things I do at bedtime, when I'm sitting there in bed and the lights are off, I've got a little iPad upstairs. I'm reading off of my Kindle. I'll read like Arliss Cutter. I'll read Jack mm-hmm. Reacher. I'll read, you know, Harry Bosch, you know. So yeah, uh, but I, I don't know if I have top three books, but uh, Manhunters is not in my top three. Sorry about that. Hey, come on now. Come hey. on now. All right. And to slowly, next question from Leah, and to slowly get into the spirit, what is the one funny story you tell every Christmas? I know we all have one. Uh, so, and then also, what is your favorite Christmas tradition? So, do you have a funny Christmas story? Uh, the only one I can think of, I even asked Connie about this because I couldn't think of anything. We used to, when her mom was still living uh, and her dad was still living, they had a tradition where all the family would come over on Christmas Eve and they would have Santa Claus come in and uh, he'd have a gift for each of the children, grandchildren that were there. You had to be under a certain age, I think. And 
we used to get a gag gift for her mom because her mom had a great sense of humor and it might be a size 112 women's panties that would be <laughs> like a tent <laughs> or I remember one year my wife went out and bought her one of the uh, garter belts and stockings you know and this lady's back then was probably in her 70s <laughs> So just funny things we did her because she she did have a good sense of humor. And the one favorite Christmas tradition is we all get together and watch Christmas Story. You know, we I mean we sit there and cite the lines before they say them on the on the show. But that's our favorite <laughs> Christmas movie. I'll tell you, I don't know if it's a funny Christmas story, but one I tell I tell you, one of the things I love doing. Um, I used to be a head of the. Uh, uh, fraternal order of police when I was a police officer and a detective back there in Kansas. And we started doing a fundraiser and then we called it shop with the cop. Mm -hmm. So we would actually work and we would identify underprivileged families, you know, kids that have been at risk and stuff. And we'd raise a bunch of money. And then that's what we do. We'd say, Hey, look, you're invited. And then we would go through at that time. All we had was really a Walmart target hadn't made it there yet, but we would take them through Walmart and they'd all kind of have a budget. So, Hey guys, pick out your gifts. So you know, at one point, I think we took 25 families shopping. Wow. Which was wow. fun. And these these crossed, uh, you know, all um, racial lines. It crossed all socioeconomic. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we targeted people who were at risk and uh, kind of got referrals from other people who'd work cases or social services. So, you know, that that's one thing I love doing. Um, favorite Christmas tradition? Um, it's got to be, uh, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> This is what I did for a couple of years in a row. First of all, the greatest Christmas movie ever made is Die Hard. Everybody mm -hmm. knows that. You know that. I know that. The American people know it. Yeah. So, but one thing I would do though, and I did this, <laughs> I did this on Facebook one time, and my neighbor up the street who retired as a colonel from the Air Force and was read in on some big programs, you know, code word stuff, special access programs. I started doing this thing, and what I did is about four days before the movie played. I would start putting out, hey, I don't know if you guys are hearing, but I'm hearing chatter. I'm, I'm just hearing some things. And I would build the story. And I, I had pictures of the same truck that they used in the movie to bring the terrorists, you know, into Nakatomi Plaza. Uh -huh. And then at the exact time it played on the movie, you know, the exact time, I, I can't remember what it is now, like 753, there's a link. I would say, shots fired, Nakatomi Plaza. Well, I had these guys hooked so bad because I was showing them, hey, guys, I've got some traffic here. And I, what you do is... I thought people would catch on because there's a way to write headers on classified cables uh -huh. in a certain way. You know, it has to be in a certain order and do things. I don't want to give it away in case, you know, terrorists are listening. Um, but uh, not that if any, if I know of any terrorists that are subscribing, we're going to give you your money back. But um, <laughs> but I, I wrote, I jacked up the headers in a way to make sure that a few people would get it. I had, I was posting this to my Peloton military uh, vets group. Um, all of us who ride Pelotons, we belong to the, called the, you know, Milvet group. And, uh, it got to the point I had people <laughs> messaging other. Oh, is this really going on? I'm afraid to go out. What's going on? Are you guys hearing this? I was just screwing with them. And so when I dropped the hammer on them, I said, God, come on. Nobody caught on. Only one person caught on. He said, man, those headers look jacked up. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, um, so my, my favorite tradition, you can't do it every year, but it's to go for a couple years, wait till people forget about it, and then pull my diehard Christmas prank again. And then how long are you in custody after that? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just go turn myself in. Uh, they fingerprint me and they let me go. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> All right. And uh, one of hers is, uh, she says, sending uh, little Christmas cards. Let me know if you guys would like some. Of course, Javi gets one too if he wants. That is so kind, Leo. We will let you know. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate, thank you. Appreciate Leah you Parker. thinking of us. So Kaylee with the K. 
So you know how you've you've always guys you've heard Murph talk about if you know if we don't make a ton of money we don't make a ton of money doing this you know we get some advertising revenue Patreon stuff but if you know if we don't make a bunch of money the Murph we don't want you know the Murphys eating cat food so right. Kaylee's taking it to task she says Murph have you found a favorite flavor of cat food yet <laughs> and if so will you tell me what it is because my spoiled brat princess is starting to say no to more and more flavors oh I know what you mean they're they're so damn finicky. Uh, and, I, and I went to Connie for this one also, and, and our cat, Max, uh, who we had to put down before we moved to Florida, uh, actually right before we had to put our dog down. Yeah, just, I remember that. You had two in a row. Wow. Yeah, it was sad. But uh, Max liked his Frisky's chicken flavor, the wet food. And then the, the, he wasn't real picky on the dry food. You could pretty much put potato chips in there, and he'd eat that. Uh, that was it. Well, ours, I tell you, our cats love Fancy Feast. I have the Fancy Feast Savory Centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you might like those, Murph. You know, it's kind of, you've got the, it's kind of like looking like a little um, butter cake, you know, and with the yeah. creamy center. So yeah. I think you might like that. Yeah, if we have to go that route, although it might be too expensive for going that route. So no, I think I think it's it's economical if you order it in bulk from like Chewy and stuff. So you should be good. <laughs> I love it though. The cats. I mean, we all know who's in charge when it comes to oh. a cat. <laughs> and I will tell you, mine. This is the routine every morning. I get up early in the morning. My cats molest me while I'm in the bathroom trying to get ready, rubbing, you know, doing the figure eight around your feet, wanting mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that Rosebud. Um, the smaller of the two cats, we have that and Fanny, who I call Porculus Maximus, um, but um, sleeps with me a lot. Uh, and I have to be in a certain position for her to sleep with me. And if I'm not, she lets me know. So, yeah, they they run the show. I, ha- I have to we have to start off with treats in the morning. So I have little bowls for treats first thing in the morning. Then if I take them out on the deck, which I do in the morning when the weather's decent, let them run around a little bit. Um, when we come back in, then they expect treats for that. And then let me tell you what, they haven't figured out it's daylight savings time yet. We've changed. <laughs> they hop up on my desk. At least Fanny does. Her internal stomach goes off at 8 a.m., which is not supposed to go off till 9. Murph, I used to feed them at 3. <laughs> then it became 2. Then it became 1. Then it became 12. And now I'm feeding them at 9 a.m. Well, you know, it's like they say, you, you do all the good things for a dog and he thinks you must be God. You do all the good things for a cat and they know they are God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go, Kaylee with the K. Um, I tell you what, cats. You know, um, um, uh, yeah. As they say, cats don't have masters; they have staff. <laughs> That's true. Sonia Bros. Oh, I love his first question. Yes. Yeah, so, snap question: Who talks faster, Rick Rambo or Morgan? <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, you know what, that's a real toss up. And in fact, um, I think at the end of that interview, you even made the statement that uh, Rick pretty much shut you down, didn't he? Dude, I I can, (laughs) when we, when we, when we edit the episodes, you can see the waveform. So you can see gaps to where they talk, you know, and we talk. Uh And I'll tell you, there are long stretches. It looks like the Sahara Desert on our track because there's <laughs> nothing going on there. But he has some great stories, man. I loved it. Well, and that's the other reason why, as you guys hear this, we'll be coming out with part three and part four of episode 123 uh, with Rick Yep. this next week. I think you're going to love it. It's uh, His stories are fantastic. And uh, we're actually doing the same thing with another guest. Yep. We'll be We're recording up his the second part chapter. of his interview today. Yeah, yeah, later today. So, but you know, the other thing though too is Rick talks fast, uh, but you guys just listen slow. I don't think we talk fast. I just think people listen slow. <laughs> Spoken by someone who you can't get to shut up. <laughs> How much wood could woodchuck chuck if woodchuck could chuck wood? All right. Uh, Thanksgiving, turkey, <clears throat> ham, or pizza? 
uh, beer and football. So, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> love the turkey and ham. Love the traditional Thanksgiving dinner, but you got to always have football there. And, uh, you know, well, not pizza. Actually, pizza and beer doesn't fill in, fit into it anymore. So I guess turkey, ham, and football. Yeah. So um, this year it's going to be a little dif- difficult. Um, we normally go up to see our daughter and son-in-law because our daughter is a fantastic cook. Well, she was playing with the dog Uh-oh. and whipped around. She had a toy in her hand and he uh, and she, Hops, whipped it around so hard. She tore a ligament in her pinky finger, uh, broke a bone. Uh, she just came back from the this morning, actually. She went to see the orthopedic surgeon this morning. They're just going to splint up both things. So she's going to have a tough time cooking. Uh, so it may be um, DoorDash. I don't know. Not DoorDash. Cracker but, Barrel. <laughs> what's that? Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Uh, no, no. We're, we're going to go up early, probably help out, you know, and cook some stuff. But uh, yeah. But uh, no, ours is the same thing. It's like my favorite thing is I love the broccoli and cheese casserole. One of my oh, yeah. favorite things for Thanksgiving. Green bean casserole. Oh, yeah. Green bean casserole. Any of those with those crispy onions on yeah. top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pecan pie. Pecan pie. Yeah, baby. And then football. Definitely have to have football. Have to watch the Lions get beat by the Cowboys. Or this year, probably the, the Lions will beat the Cowboys. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. I mean, well, you need something there while you're taking your nap. That's right. That's right. That tryptophan kicks in from the turkey, and then everybody just falls to sleep. That's right. All right, Murph, do you put your Christmas tree up before or after Thanksgiving? Always after. It should be a law. It should be a felony to have Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving is over. Well, and, and just like two days ago, our youngest daughter sent us pictures where she already has her trees up in her house. So it, it's uh, and in this neighborhood where we live, it's amazing how many people took their Halloween decorations up and next day had their Christmas decorations. I mean, lights are on here, flashing trees out in the yard, sand and sleigh and deer and all that crap. And, you know, part of the tradition was you didn't get your tree actually till Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but that's an old tradition. Yeah. Yeah. But they've pushed, I mean, I was in, in late October, even before Halloween was over, I was already getting advanced notice of advanced Black Friday deals, advanced this, you know, mm-hmm. the season, I get it. The season, the retail season is expanding, but no, it should be a felony, felony to put Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving is over. Because quite frankly, um, uh, you know, we don't spend enough time giving thanks. I think that's the other thing too, is I think yeah. we need to appreciate where we are, where we live. So, uh, no, ours definitely goes up after Thanksgiving. Right on, brother. Thank you. Well, I was sister, Sonia Bros. I was talking to you. Okay, right well, on. You, you could qualify either way, I guess. Brother and sister. All right. <laughs> Last one. Rapid fire, Rick Jacobson. All yeah, right. baby. You didn't miss cutoff. Don't worry with the nope. time changes, but here goes. If crimes are committed on a cruise ship, what jurisdiction does it fall under? Well, um, if it's in international waters, and I seem to remember this from uh, from Murr when he wrote his book, who we had on the show here, what, gosh, two years ago now? Yeah, it's episode like 16 or something. Yeah, but I think, I think it, well, now I'm not so sure. Because, you, you know, each of those vessels is registered in a certain country. And because you're in international waters, I would think that the country where it's registered would have jurisdiction. Because I know if the Coast Guard wants to board a vessel, they have to go to that country of registry and get their permission. But I seem to remember in Murr's book that it was going to fall to where the vessel birthed would have jurisdiction. Does that sound right? 
you know, I honestly don't know. Well, it's 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 complicated. Um, and I was I had done some research on this before for a different thing, but basically, it, it's kind of the way that um, if you're a U.S. citizen and you're like over in Thailand doing the sex tourism stuff, they can actually exert jurisdiction over your actions there. But according to this, I just pulled this up uh, from the Attorney at Law magazine. Somebody deals with maritime affairs. And it says, the quote is, and to further complicate the issue, a crime involving a U.S. citizen while aboard a cruise ship, regardless of location worldwide, gives the FBI jurisdiction over the case as well. In international waters, there is no single governing body that has exclusive jurisdiction over the area. So, but but I think to your point, if you want to board a ship, that's different. It's like getting permission from there. But if you've got mm-hmm. a crime that's committed and it involves a U.S. citizen, um, I does think I do think that the FBI does have, um, according to uh, uh, another thing too, it says the FBI has broad extraterritorial jurisdiction over American citizens and can assert authority to investigate crimes against Americans aboard cruises anywhere. You know what? And that makes perfect simple, uh, sense because when um, the Colombian Sicario La Quica put that bomb on the Avianca flight back in was it eighty nine. And there were two Americans on board, and that gave us jurisdiction to prosecute him. Yeah. That's right. So, hey, I knew the answer and just didn't know I knew it. So, but Duh. what they say, but there, there's another thing, though, too, here. It says this comes, these are all law firms that deal with uh, maritime affairs and stuff, but they say a vessel flying, flying, and this is a vessel, not necessarily a cruise ship, but a vessel flying a particular nation's flag is subject to that country's laws and regulations. If a crime occurs on such a vessel, the flag state typically takes jurisdiction and is responsible for investigating and prosecuting the perpetrators. But, you know, th- these are international waters, and that's mm-hmm. the murky thing. It's it's international um, but that's why um, a lot of times if you want to snatch somebody, Murph, speaking of that, oh, yeah. one of the easiest way to snatch them is to get them into international waters, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Might that have happened in your career? Well, you, you get out past that 12-mile limit and you're subject to boarding from any vessel that comes along. And if it just happens to be a Coast Guard cutter comes zipping up through there and <clears throat> you better heave to. <laughs> that's right. That's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, Great way to get possession of international criminals who think they can outsmart the law by never stepping foot in the the venue of the United States. Yep. So that makes sense. That's coming. Well, yeah, they think as long as they stay outside, you know, the the, the territorial waters, you know, uh, they stay in international waters, they're fine. And it's like, quite frankly, sometimes that's an easy place to snatch you from. Oh, yeah. Doesn't happen frequently, but it does happen. It does happen. And so Rick had a follow-on question. Also, if a crime is committed in a foreign country and the person has already left before it is discovered, what is the enforcement policy? Now, I'm not, I'm a little confused. Um, so let's just say if uh, if an American citizen commits a crime in a foreign country and they've left before it is discovered, what is the enforcement policy? If that's the case, uh, if you commit a crime in a country, um, you're subject to the country's laws. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, and now there were some unique things about, like I said, the sex tourism with the FBI enforcing that and, and HSI and stuff. You know, looking at Thailand. But but look, if if I go to Canada and I rob a bank, I'm subject to Canadian jurisdiction and Canadian law, and I could get extradited back. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, except for if you're in international waters, like I said, the cruise ship, but if you're inside the sovereignty of a nation, you're subject to that nation's laws, period. Right. And if it's, it's so like, let's say, given that example, an American kid commits a crime uh, in another country and then comes back to the United States. That country, if they have a reciprocating agreement, reciprocal agreement with the United States, can request extradition. 
And it's, it's the same for us, like trying to extradite people from Mexico or Colombia for drug traffickers. And what happens here in the United States is DOJ has the Office of International Affairs, and they will review each case individually. And based on the evidence that's presented by the the prosecuting country, for lack of a better term, they make a determination whether they want to turn over a citizen or not, because they're even though you have an agreement, there is not a law that obligates us to turn over our citizens to another country. We now, just we, have an agreement that says if you meet the criteria, we we will. Right. Turn, but but you go to Russia, you go to China, Iran, North Korea. There are no extradition treaties. Right, and it's the same with uh, Colombia. As many people as we've extradited out of there, they don't have to turn over their citizens to us. Well, now. And there's also, see, you know, we have the death penalty here in the United States. That's what I was just getting to. And that's, yeah. yeah. And those other countries don't. Well, and see, actually, um, there's a series on Netflix right now, and it's about a murder that happened here uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I actually know one of the ladies who's involved in the making of it, uh, Courtney Stewart Bloom. Uh, but it was about the Hasem murders back uh, in the 90s. And um, the... They they found Yen Soren Yen Sorensen was and him and his girlfriend they were arrested in England and questioned by the English police and but they were not going to be extradited back to the U.S. until the U.S. took the death penalty off the table. Yeah. So um, even if you are not, he's a German citizen. Um, his dad was a diplomat, so he had a diplomatic passport. But going to school uh, in Virginia, the University of Virginia. Um, being detained in the UK, they even though he wasn't a UK citizen, the UK was not going to release him until they took the death penalty off the table. Yep, and that's Colombia. The maximum penalty you can get in Colombia is thirty years, so that's what that's the maximum penalty you can get if you get extradited to the United States. And if they extradite you, let's say that you're convicted, you're brought back, and they say, "Hey, we're going to re- we're going to turn him over to you in your country," even if he had a life sentence in the United States and he was sent back to Colombia, the most you could keep him for even then is thirty years because that's Colombia's right. Law. Exactly. Good question. So, yeah, good question. Um, rapid fire. You ready, Murph? Yes, sir. Elevator or escalator? Um, escalator. It's not as enclosing. I would prefer an escalator, but unless you're unless you're going to like the the top of the Sears Tower, I don't think I'd want to take an escalator off <laughs> the way there. Or the Burj Khalifa over yeah, the Burj Khalifa. Hey, uh, I got a I got a story about the Burj Khalifa. I'll tell you here in a second. All right. Um, filled donut or regular? Boy, I'm a cop. I like them both. Um, my favorite is a chocolate donut with coconut on the outside, nothing in the middle. But I also like those those Boston cream donuts. I was going to say Boston cream. I just if it's going to be something like that, I'll take that or a jelly filled donut. Jelly. Much. Thank you. Yep. Deep dish or thin crust? Thin crust. Uh, Although I do like Chicago, me. I like Chicago style. Yeah, I like deep dish. Um, wedge or Greek salad? Wedge, please. Because it's got bacon. Yeah, <laughs> bacon and blue cheese. All right. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, more tech or less tech? Um, that's kind of back to our, one of our original questions there. I love the technology. It's, I don't understand most of it now. I guess I'm turning into my parents. Um, but the tech is pretty cool, man. I mean, we were, we sell our books while we're on the road and I've got a square credit card reader and now it has the tap function. So people, I just, I put charge it and then people hover their credit card over top of it and it gives me their money. But the tech is unbelievable what goes on nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, that's enabled by um, the RFID that basically allows you to be in close contact with it near mm-hmm. um, near field communication, NFC. So there's an NFC chip inside those that the only way it works is you got to be like right on top of it. Yep. I use the same thing. I've, I, I mean, I'm not that I want more tech. 
I, w- I just want better integrated tech. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Mac guy. I just love the way everything integrates together. I can be sitting upstairs on my iPad and be able to pull up the tabs I had on my iPhone or my desktop, you know, my iMac here. Um, but I just, I don't know if I want more tech. I just want it better integrated uh, to make sense. But anyway. And, and, and more security on it. Yeah. Hotel or Airbnb? You know, I've never stayed in an Airbnb, so I don't know. I, uh, I like hotels. I've stayed in an Airbnb once. Last time I'll ever do it. Oh, really? And now it's getting so expensive to where the cleanup fee, if you want to go somewhere for a weekend, you might pay more for the cleanup fee than the actual <laughs> cost. And it's it's just, it's going down. I just, I I'm, for me, one of the reasons I like the hotel, it's, it's predictable. I quite frankly don't want to be in a place, uh, you know, at least they've got the cleaning staff that come through and clean the room. Yeah, I know that there's other people in it, but they change the sheets out. You know, I just like having something that, um, is a hotel room that is cleaned. Uh, and that's why I stay, I stay brand names. I mean, I'm, I'm a Marriott guy, so I'll do, because uh, of some of my Sigma Chi alumni brothers, uh, David Marriott, the chairman of the board is a Sigma Chi. And so does Tony Capuano, the CEO of Marriott. So mm-hmm. I've been loyal. And the other reason I'm loyal to Marriott too, if you remember uh, when we had uh, Cheryl Nietzsche O'Connell on there, when she was shot, yeah. uh, doing, uh, 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 security down there for that event that the chairman of the board at that time, uh, David's grandfather came by and visited her in the hospital and took care of everything. So that's very uh, cool. A Marriott guy. Hey, I wanted to go back. You were talking about, uh, unless it's the Burj Khalifa. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been there? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that elevator from the bottom to the top is very quick. Yeah, and you know it's got that helipod heliport up there. You know, I didn't. I didn't see that. Uh, it's got the sail, right? The Burj Khalifa. It's got that thing that looks like the sail. You're talking about the hotel, right? Now, the the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world. Well, that's uh, uh, the one that looks like a, a hotel. Looks like a sailboat. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I was confusing them. The, I've been to the Burj Khalifa in, in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi. No, that one's in, in Dubai. 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 Yeah. Dubai. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one, yeah, would go up through. I'm trying to think of the name of the hotel. Oh, anyway, I had a story about the hotel for you. Um, yeah, I've seen it, but I haven't been in it. But I have seen that helipad up there, and I, I heard, I've heard that they've played tennis up on that helipad before. Well, so here's the, here's the inter- I got to think, what, what's the name of that hotel? Okay. Um, you look it up real quick while I tell the story. So there's the Burj Khalifa. I've been to there, uh, and actually I stayed at a hotel that you could look across and see the Burj Khalifa, and they actually had a fire on it. I was trying to think of the name of the hotel. It's like a six-star hotel there in uh, Dubai. But um, it was designed by an Australian, and they had it like 90% built before they realized that the structure of the hotel with that cross member, which actually that's where the uh, helipad is up there. Yeah. It's the it's the Burj Al uh, Arab. I don't know if I'm saying that right. B U R J A L A R A B. Yeah, Burj Al Arab. Um, well, that's why I was getting it confused with the Burj Al Khalifa. So I mean, kind of the same thing. But yeah, the, so that one is a six star hotel, Murph. But when you look at the structure of it, it's a, the big, tall, you know, hotel mm-hmm. with the helipad. So mm-hmm. you have the horizontal piece and then the vertical piece. That was built to face east. You know what is built to face east? It was a Christian contractor. He built the shape of the hotel is a cross facing east, which is the holiest place in Islam is Mecca. Oh. They didn't realize that till this thing was about 90% done. And there was no tearing it down at that point. Oh. How about that now? There you go. Hey, that's just a little story to spice it up. I, I, keep, I wonder why I keep getting the Burj Al Khalifa and the Burj Al Arab uh, confused. Anyway, um, they're both in Dubai. 
both very expensive buildings. And I think it's a six-star hotel, if, the, if, if I remember right. Sounds right. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because I stayed at the hotel right across from it. It looked like, kind of like a pyramid. It's got the stair steps and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're able to go see go visit it. Anyway, but hey, guys, well, that, that brings us to an end. So just in reverse order, going back up, thank you to Rapid Fire Rick Jacobson, Sonia Bros, Kaylee with a K, Leah Parker, hey, you won. Uh, Chris, congrats again on that. Steven, not Seagal Siegel, Daniel Mitchell, Frederick Nicolosi, and then again, our apologies to our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, for skipping her October question. But it, it leads off with us in November. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just, it's not sufficient to say that, but I don't know any other way to express it. We appreciate you taking the time to get, send us the questions and then listen to our goofy answers when we get back to you. Goofy answers. Thank you. Thank you very much. In the words of Elvis Presley, thank you. That's right. Very much. So, hey, we guys, you give us two things, time and money. We can always replace money, but never time. So, thank you. Thank you for playing the November edition of Q&A. And thank you guys. Once again, for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 